That dratted telephone, always ringing when Mrs Rosen had her hands full. Here it was a quarter past eight already by the hall clock, and she had half a dozen little jobs to do before taking the tea trolley into the lounge at nine. Clearing up the dinner plates always took longer than she thought it would. You'd think she'd know after all these years that the gentlemen travellers couldn't help splashing their soup around, but it came as a surprise every time. It took a moment to find a place to set down the clean tablecloth before she could answer the phone's wheezy jangle. The lobby area was padded with winter coats, scarves and hats, jostling for space on the pegs, and more galoshes and overshoes underfoot, what with the weather this week being so mucky. The pale Bakerlite phone summoned her with more of a rattle than a ring, which explained why none of the gentlemen in the lounge had heard it. Another thing that needed seeing to. Mrs Rosen managed to balance the tablecloth on a pile of magazines set out on the hall chest by the phone and notepad and keep them from falling onto the floor with her hip while she picked up the heavy receiver and lifted it to her ear. Sconthorpe 478? Yes, good evening. A roar of laughter greeted some successful anecdote in the lounge. I'm terribly sorry, I didn't catch that. Do you need a room? It's two shillings a night and that includes a light breakfast as well as dinner and tea. Oh, I'm sorry, one of our guests? No, I don't think we have a gentleman named Cook with us. Oh, it's spelled C-O-K-E. I see. Well, my husband didn't mention a young lady, but he served at dinner, you see, while I was in the kitchen. She paused to let the person on the other end of the line speak. Now she straightened up smartly, and the tablecloth and magazine slithered onto the linoleum floor. She barely noticed. Oh, yes, I see. If you would just bear with me one moment, madam. Mrs Rosen's youngest was trying to scoot by, but she was too quick for him. She grabbed his collar and pointed at the fallen glossies and tablecloth. As he gathered them up, she set the receiver down with great care next to the phone, then undid the ties on her apron and hung it among the greatcoats of the travelling salesman. Now she looked, there was a lady's coat hanging among them, a pale brown duffel coat with big wooden toggles and a floral scarf tucked round the hood. Very pretty. She touched her hair. Jimmy gave her an odd look and she scowled at him and pointed till he got the message and took the clean cloth into the dining room. She opened the door to the lounge. All the men, as far as she could see, crowded around the little tables with constantly filling ashtrays between them. Other than tobacco, the air smelt dark and sharp that hair cream the gentleman used. The noise of conversation died down as they saw her open the door. Is Miss Cook here? she asked, pronouncing it properly to rhyme with book and still not quite believing such a person could be in her lounge, but the refined female voice on the telephone had seemed quite certain. Miss Anne Cook of Holcomb Hall? A slim arm appeared, waving above the heads of the room's other occupants, and Mrs Rosen watched as a tall, slender young woman, a girl really, not more than seventeen, with blonde shoulder-length hair held neatly off her face and brushed out curls, rose out from among the salesmen like a Venus rising from the foam of commerce. She was holding a book and had been sitting on the corner sofa. Her finger was trapped between the covers, marking her place. Telephone call, Miss Cook, from your mother, at Holcombe Hall, she couldn't help adding. Thank you so much, Mrs Rosen, the young lady said. 
The salesmen shuffled their chairs out of the way to let her by and stared. The ones who'd spoken to her at dinner looked slyly smug, the ones who'd ignored her profoundly disconcerted. This way, Mrs Rosen said, and led her out of the room as if there could be any confusion as to where the telephone was. Mrs Rosen closed the door on the lounge and the men left behind stared at the closed door. Holcomb Hall? Isn't that some enormous pile in Norfolk? Earl of Leicester's place, a ginger-haired man who travelled in toothpaste, asked the room in general. On the coast and a stone's throw from Sandringham, an older gentleman with an iron moustache replied, Miss Cook is the granddaughter of the Earl of Leicester. No, Ginger said. She told me her family run a pottery and she's hoping to sell vases and toby jugs to the fancy good shops in Grinsby and Skegness. That's right. The gentleman with the iron moustache had thought the ginger-haired fellow was a little full of himself and enjoyed seeing him temporarily flustered. I do the King's Lynn run at least twice a year. They converted the old laundry at the hall. Nice things they're making there too. Got some artistry to them. Pretty little set with snowdrops on them. The door opened again and the young lady returned. She looked, if possible, a little paler than she had before. Several of the men stood up. I'm terribly sorry. I left my bag by the sofa. Might someone pass it to me? The handbag, more of a briefcase really, was retrieved, and Iron Moustache had the privilege of passing it into her hands. Not bad news, I hope, Miss Cook, he said. He had a kind, avuncular face. Anne had met him once or twice on these selling trips, and he'd absorbed the news of her aristocratic lineage with calm courtesy and a minimum of fuss. He'd been happy to share his knowledge of sales, too. The best days to visit certain shops, and who liked to chat but never bought. Samuels, that was his name. Marcus Samuels. She swallowed. I'm afraid so, Mr Samuels. My grandfather has died. I must go home at once.